Welcome to the Big Easy Sportsman Podcast. If you live and breathe hunting in the outdoors like I do, this is your show. Here we'll discuss tips and tactics to make us better hunters and better people, forever holding ourselves to a higher standard both in and out of season. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Big Easy Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Rudy, and I'm here with Chase today, and we're talking about uh, some of the difficulties we've been having trying to get this podcast out this week. Man. <laughs> Man, we've been kicking it, haven't we? Oh, uh, this is what, number five, Chase? Yeah. Uh, two for, t- no, three for tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was three tonight. <laughs> yeah. We have been struggling, man, but uh, I can tell you what we're not going to be struggling with, and that is the heat coming up. We have a cold front on the way. I cannot wait, man. Thank God. I've been just itching. Oh, I know. It actually feels like deer season now. We can actually kind of get excited about it. You don't, you're not sitting there dreading going out there in 100 degrees and battling mosquitoes and watching for cotton mouths and all that crap. So we, uh, and I say a cool front, it ain't going to be cold. It's going to be what, what's it supposed to be like in the 50s, mid, low 50s or so, which is perfect for us. I think 50 even. Yeah, highs in the 70s. It ought to be pretty good. It ought to really put the deer on their feet. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm on my last day, on my last swing of the tour at work. So I'm off from getting off in the morning, then I'm off till Monday. And then I'm back off again Tuesday, so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I've been noticing on some of my cameras, I don't know if it's the heat or what, but it seems like the morning is pretty hot, and then the evening is kind of whatever. You know, I may see one or two deer kind of sneak in there right at right before shooting light, and then usually about 15, 20 minutes after dark, they all just pile in there. Yeah. Have you been seeing that? Uh, yeah, I know we had kind of touched on it the other day and talked about it a little bit how we were we were the we were opposite. Like y'all were strictly morning and I was strictly evening uh, pictures and all. But uh, over the past three or four days now, I don't know if they just if they sense the weather's changing or we have a cool front coming or whatever. But uh, I'm actually I'm getting I wouldn't say more in the mornings than the evenings, but I'm I'm definitely getting more pictures of deer in the morning than I previously was. And then, uh, and then, yeah, right, right after dark or right at dark, they, they starting to flood into that food plot. Yeah, we kind of, we, we had pretty good movement in the mornings, like I said, but you did say something about that, that, that the lease you were hunting on was pretty hot in the evenings. And for us, it was almost strictly mornings. Like, and I think because where a, where Colt was at, is uh in that cutover, so I'm thinking mm-hmm. once the the heat of the day gets up, they just don't want anything to do with it until after dark. There ain't no shade. Yeah, that is true. So cold, so he he finally finally done the deed. Yes, he did, man. He's on the board. Has that silverback gorilla off his back. <laughs> That's what he calls it. He said it's no longer a monkey; yep. it's a gorilla, and he's whipping me. <laughs> Yep, he finally sealed the deal, man. After two years of struggles, uh, that's actually the podcast we were trying, attempting to record for like the nineteenth time, but uh, I don't know. Apparently, the world just doesn't want us to talk about that. So uh, we're gonna have a hunt breakdown episode sometime in the near future. But uh, 
for the time being, we are on the board here. The Big Easy Sportsman crew is on the board. Heck yeah, with a nice eight point. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, I can be number two on the board either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday because uh, I had that heavy horn eight point was back in there uh, last night. Oh, Showed really? up this morning at like nine o'clock. Really? Him and another little buck. Yeah, they still bachelored up by us. Huh. Have you seen any bucks still bachelored up? Uh, mm, no. They they they've split where we're at. It's uh, not us, man. When we get pictures, it's bucks and does now, and they're not. I mean, you. I got a couple like little three point spikes that are still together, but uh, all of our good deer, none of them are together anymore. Yeah, the one that Colt shot, it was uh it was that eight point that he killed and it was another little six point or whatever or four point and they were still bacheled up. That's crazy. I mean, cause what what are y'all? Y'all are just say an hour from me, forty five minutes. Um probably not even that. It maybe forty minutes at the most. Right. And uh, that just shows you that how much different it is just from that little bit of of a change. But yeah, he killed that opening morning was uh Sunday morning, October first. Today is Wednesday, October fourth. And uh like I say, that eight point came in there, had that smaller deer with him, buck still bachelored up, and every time I've seen the big deer, he's had the little one with him. So Right. And I mean he all times. Now we do have one of our eight points that we've been seeing and watching on camera since July, um, he's been running with this spike. With the spike, he's got, I don't know, it's like he's barely broke through the skin, but they're like needle points. Like if you're not, if you're not, oh, yeah. if you're not looking for it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it was a a, a buck. Like because the hair, like it's barely above the hairline that his bury is and all. But the deer looks like he weighs 200 pounds, and he's with that eight point pretty much every picture we get still. So we kind of the bigger eight point, yeah, yeah. So like we wanna we wanna kill we wanna kill that deer, but it's kind of hard to uh, kind of hard to do that knowing that he's running with that other big buck. So that's kind of rare, honestly, because. Like once those deer, like I'm assuming the the buck you're talking about, I'm pretty sure he's probably four years old, because uh, they don't really get that big around here unless they get some age on them. Like that's not a three and a half year old deer, in my opinion. I mean, he may be, yeah. But usually, once they get some age on them, they don't bachelor up really like they used to. And see, Uncle Michael had said something about that yesterday. We were actually talking. He thinks. And what he believes, and he's been around a while and for hunting our specific area for many, many, many years. And he said that what he thinks that when those deer get that old, like, because he's always that deer that we're talking about, he's he's sagging in the belly. He's he's just, he's blocked off completely. He's, he's heavy. He's got good horns on him. He's just a mature deer. I mean, he's got every every uh what you call it he's got everything a mature deer should have around here and he's always with and it's kind of weird because usually when they're bachelored up those bucks and does are not mixing together yet 
Well, he was never really in the bachelor group. He was always with the doe in a spot at fawn, staying with them. So what he said, he thinks that when the deer get to a certain age around there, around here, yeah, they may still rut, but they're not they're not acting the way they did when they was three and a half and four and a half, bachelored up still, and then splitting at the uh in the fall, splitting, busting up, and then swelling and rutting and chasing and all that. He thinks that they kind of stay more of like a, a homebody. They already have their turf claimed and what few little does is there, like it's they're just his and that's pretty much it. Like he he thinks that they don't really venture out and run as much as the younger deer do. Which I mean, I guess there's I probably really, some truth I, to that. I guess it kind of makes sense because that deer he is, he was never bachelored up. We've only had him by himself. He's with the doe and the yearling, kind of like a family type deal. So I don't know. I wouldn't doubt it at all, man. I know a lot of those deer in like the Midwest, once they get up five, six years old. And even some of the ones that they've uh, actually collared in some of the deer studies that Mississippi State University has done, they actually they almost quit participating in the rut. Like they don't, right. they don't really expand their home range. Whenever all the other collared bucks are running around chasing and doing all their thing or whatever, uh, those bucks don't really move outside of like a small quarry area. So I'm I wouldn't put it past them. Yes, yeah, so, I mean. I guess it's it's kind of it's a good thing because I mean when once you finally do find or discover his core area, I mean you you got a lot better odds of killing an old mature deer like that around the house. Yeah, but man, that's what a lot of people don't understand is deer around here finding that buck's core area. It's hard. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, I think I think due to the pressure and the uh the predators and just everything in general that we have that's putting so much stress and pressure on these deer i don't think they have just one specific core area i think they have several in different areas so it's kind of hard to catch up with them yeah i i believe that's true myself uh i know i've seen it in you know in the last few years uh i've been hunting hard around here man you have bucks that just they just show up and it's just completely random yeah you know if you have a buck that you get summertime pictures of you may very well get that same buck on camera all year like almost like you just stumbled in his core area and like he doesn't really move or leave he just kind of this is the spot he lives in and that's pretty much all he does it, it's weird our deer I don't really know how to explain it, and a lot of people probably disagree or think I don't know what I'm talking about, but you come here and try to tell me where a, a deer's core area is, and I'll tip my hat to you. Yep. I mean, because they just out there just hanging around. And I think it's because everything is so thick, man. Like, if you look in the Midwest, you know, you can, oh, this buck is living in this thick thicket. This is where he lives. You know, or he's using this ditch to access through here so they don't have to cross to this open field. Everything here is so thick and so dense, and it's full of privet and full of yopons and full of all this stuff that they can just get up and browse. Like, the stuff that they're bedding in is also the stuff that they're browsing on. Yeah, they don't have to go anywhere. I mean, they, no. and then not and not only that, around here, you, you got a, a feed pile every 100 yards in most places, in most cases. 
So he literally rolls out of bed, sniffs his little does, turns around, eats out of a feed pile, and then right back to bed he goes. So it's kind of, it's hard. Like I said, in the thickets around here, it's, it's either going to poke you or bite you in it. So <laughs> That is it, true. I mean, you, you can't just go tromping through there because we never, honestly, anytime during deer season, most of the time, we don't get to the point where it's so cold that the snakes aren't out. I mean, I've seen snakes in December here. So, and... Call me a wuss, a girl, whatever you want to do. I don't like a snake. Yeah, I'm not a big fan myself. We talked about that last week. But it's, it is. It's different. And I think there's some truth into what he said about the deer not wanting to, not participating in rut activity or, or normal buck deer activities once they get to a certain age. I, I really do think there's some truth in that. I think so, man. Uh, the stuff that they've studied in the, in the Midwest on, you know, every deer from every state is pretty much the same. Yep. You know, so I don't I don't think that those deer are really any different than ours. I just think that their environment is so different that it changes kind of how they behave. Well, yeah. I mean, that's like me and you. We're no different. We're human. But you were raised up in a different atmosphere than what I was raised up in. Not saying like a bad thing, but just it's just different, different uh, environments and different ways of doing things. Like y'all may have, like you may, you may do things different than I do, but we get to the same exact endpoint. So, and I, I think that's what the deer do here. They still a deer is a deer. He's gonna do deer things, but I think they just do it a lot differently here in a lot different time uh, manner and all here than they do in the northern states and it's just it's easier to watch and actually see deer do deer things up there because the visibility is so much better than here i mean like if you're not on a power line here in most places in area four if you're not on a power line or in a field dude really honestly 100 yards is the most you're seeing and that's in bits and pieces that's not 100 yards all the way around you so yeah, that's one lane maybe right yeah so that it, and that's like okay if i look through this limb and go through that limb or that bush there's a hundred yard mark there so it's not uh it's a lot different i think it's that plays a factor into why it's so hard to narrow and pin down those deer's core areas because you it's hard to find it. it's hard to see it like you can't i, I, I kind of you can't have a, a uh, you can't have an observation stand here. You can't. There's nothing to observe. Yeah, true. I know. I've tried to tell myself, you know, I a I want to be a better hunter. So I try to do everything I can to to be better, and I try to listen and consume as much information as I can, no matter who it's from. You know, trying to learn, trying to be better. Yeah. So I find myself here. You know, I take a lot of the things that I learn, like out of state in Illinois or wherever, and I bring that back here. I'm like, okay, you know, this buck was bedding this way, and dude, there is no, no pattern. There's no rhyme, no reason. They just do stuff. Like, there's no, there's no reason for them to do anything. There's no reason for them to be anywhere. They're not, 
you know, transitioning back and forth from this bedding to this food. Right. Every, everything's bedding and everything is food. So how do you how do you narrow down exactly what he's going and coming from and where he's going? Yeah, it's a, I don't know. It, it's a, it's more of a luck luck thing than actual getting out and doing what you would do anywhere else to locate and hunt deer and pattern deer. It can be done. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't be done. It can definitely be done, and there's definitely things that you can find and pick up on that that will help you kill bigger deer here but it's not it's not a cakewalk by no means the only thing the last few years that i've been hunting uh this place and like two of my spots i have pretty much you know several hundred acres to myself that i'm the only person that hunts it so i can kind of bounce around and you know try different things and move around, see different patterns and different transition lines, different habitat types and all that stuff and try to, you know, try to make myself understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But it makes no sense here when I struggle so hard here to get on a buck or try to pattern one or any of that. And then I just go out of state and I can just stumble across, you know, all these giants. I mean, you the same way. Yeah. Well, I think with that, their numbers are obviously better than ours as far as deer per square mile. They have more deer, but that it all goes back to the habitat too. It's so up there you can look through their oak flats and you can see deer trails that's wore down like a dirt path, like a cow trail here. And he's like, Okay, well I mean this is obvious. Ray Charles can see this is where they're traveling. From this drain around the backside, this pinch point down through the backside of this cornfield, it's it's not hard to pick up on that kind of stuff. You don't see that here because everything is so tall and just brushy and thick. And you'll have a little. The only thing you can see for is a trail here is maybe where they're crossing the road hard. You can see where they digging the ditch bank out a good bit. Then hey, you, you know they're they're traveling right here. But as soon as you step across that ditch bank. And you go 50 yards, you have no idea where it goes because it just gets thick. Yeah, and you'll notice, too, that you'll find those crossings. You know, it kind of pinches them down to this crossing. But as soon as they cross, you'll see like six or eight different trails that just kind of scattered throughout the woods. And it's not real defined trails, though, no, in most cases. The only success I had trying to do something like that was uh, was last year. And everyone knows we're in a bait state here in Louisiana, so I bait, you know, just like almost everyone else does. Well, yeah, you can do it. Why not? Yeah, true. So I, I had the spot that I was baiting, and it was around, uh, somewhere around November. I think it was just beginning of gun season, maybe. Actually, we had just gotten back from Illinois, so it must have been... Yeah, actually, the weekend we got back was the opening of gun season here in Louisiana, so it would have been around the middle of November. Mm -hmm. And I noticed a couple of scrapes popping up uh, on the transition line, you know, maybe 80 yards from where I was baiting at. I said, you know what? I'm going to try something. So I went over there. I used Mr. Dan, Seymour Deers, and Rookham Juice, and I started working on these scrapes. And scrapes that they, that they had made, a deer had made, some deer. So I, I worked on them a little bit, spruced them up, hung a camera, 
and I had deer hit that scrape every day. So then I compare pictures to what I had at the feed site, and I saw maybe two or three of the same does and maybe one of the younger bucks, but I'd get like two or three pictures of them at the scrape, and I'd get like one picture at, at the feed site. Now, you know, since we're on this, I had talked to, don't quote me on the numbers, I do not remember exactly what he said, but we had, we was in Vicksburg hunting uh, a couple years back, and we had actually run into one of their wildlife, their biologists at the store, and we just kind of went to talking and everything, and they had been doing a study in Mississippi in the Delta region, um, that's where we were at, uh, they had been doing a study with collars and all that, or however they do it, I don't really know, but they had been doing a study on buck deer and feed piles and they said after a buck deer is above three and a half years old or four and a half i don't remember which one it was um like it was a a very high number like 80 or 90 percent i want to say that he had told us of those deer at that age will never go to a feed pile again i believe it man because there's a lot of people like I think this uh, the seven point that's behind me over here, I'm pretty sure I killed him, but I was in a cutover. And the lane I had, I had a feeder set up in there too. I heard a limb break and I started looking, see antlers coming, and I could see them through the bushes. This deer got close enough where he could see that feeder and see and smell that there was nothing there. Yep. And he turned around and he walked straight out the same trail he was on and uh, apparently the stars aligned and I had a hole to shoot through and I was able to kill that buck. Well, that's what they I are. never saw him on, never saw him on camera. Never had a single picture of him. That's I have they, no idea where he come from. That's what they said. Like it, it was a high number. It was like 80 or 90% of a deer that's four and a half years old or better in that region that they've been doing that study on like 80 or 90% of them would not go to a feed pile again once they hit that age. So, I mean, if you think about it, that's four and a half years old and older. That's the deer that we're looking for. That's the deer we're hunting. And in a bait state, what are we doing to hunt that deer? We're sitting there hoping he's coming to a feed pile. And then the research and study shows that 90% of those deer at that caliber and that age that we're hunting will never step foot to another feed pile. So you're kind of, you're wasting your time, really. Well, I can tell you that, uh, I learned that from Mr. Dan DeWitt. I was listening to a podcast he was on, and uh, he was talking about that. And he said that most hunters don't know when to get off the feed pile. And that is 100% true, man, especially here in southeast Louisiana or really anywhere in the south. Right. It, once we start getting into pre-rut, you leave your bait where it's at, and sure, run a camera on it, whatever you want. And you may have a picture of a buck, and you may have a picture of a good buck, but he's going to show up. And it's going to be hit or miss. It's going to be completely random. Maybe he shows up, maybe he doesn't. But if you hunt the surrounding area, especially like transition lines where it starts to get thick from wherever your spot is, you know, to maybe it's pines or maybe it's, uh, you know, an oak flat with a bunch of underbrush or a cutover or whatever. If you start keying in on those spots, I guarantee you two things. You're going to find a scrape there. And also... If you hang a camera on it, you'll see bucks at that scrape 100% more than they'll be on camera at a feed site. No doubt. And that's something I'm going to... Uh, and 
definitely something I'm going to do this year. And those, believe it or not, man, they'll pass downwind of a feed site. Oh, well, yeah. So they can wind it and see if, oh, no dough here. Nope, nobody's an estrus, and they'll keep on trucking. Yep. And see, I'm a, I'm a believer, too, and I may be wrong. It's just my thought uh, process on, I don't know, or just from the years that I've been hunting, I've never really seen mature bucks here just go to a feed pile and belly up or constantly at the feed pile like the does and the younger deer are. I feel like the bucks and all, they, I feel like they browse more than going to a feed pile like the younger deer and the does do. And most of the time, that's not in your bait area here. I believe it. I mean, you look at like some of those studies or you you know, talk to people that's killed some of the bigger deer around here, you know, like Mr. Warren Womack or, you know, Leon or Mr. Dan, anybody who hunts Louisiana in the southeast a lot, they'll tell you the same thing. They find they kill their biggest deer on that isolated oak tree in the middle of this thicket. You know, that's, that's the M.O. Yeah. They're not killing them over bait. They're not killing them at a destination food source unless it's late season. Right. Now, I'm not saying you it's can't. Just, there's There's been several good deer killed in a bait pile, for sure, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. But the mass majority of them, I feel like they're not just, they're not going to a feed pile just to eat every day. No, they... They're smarter than that, man. They've seen a feed pile. They know what goes on there. They know when they walk up, they smell the food, and they also smell humans. They're not dumb. Yeah, no. That's not rocket science to them. But what I found out, especially the last two years, like just for us, for instance, uh, you know, like I said, Colt killed that eight-point opening morning. I've had uh, that heavy-horned eight and his little running buddy show up almost every day now but if you hit them in early season especially on years that we don't have a big acorn crop now a, a food a feed site is deadly on those years or a water hole right now yep <laughs> but the same thing is true if you have a good acorn year and there's a lot of acorns a lot of red oaks a lot of white oaks dude you will not see a buck on camera they won't even show themselves at a feed site ever until thanksgiving yep well that's when everything starts to kind of really starts dying off or what's on the ground starts kind of getting to the point where they don't eat them anymore i actually uh had a conversation i'll say a conversation it was more of a disagreement with a with a pretty well-known podcast out there and uh i listened to one of their episodes and they were talking about how many mature deer get killed over food over bait sites I'm like, I messaged the guy. I'm like, man, that is absolutely not true. There are, I'm not going to say no mature deer getting killed over a feed site, but it is very, very few. Well, I mean, you think about it. How many, uh, how am I going to word it? How many silos and feed bins do you see that is naturally just grew up in the woods and producing sweet treat and producing acorn rage and producing uh, whatever it is uh triple clean corn and like how many of those little factories do you see out in the woods with buck deer running the factory and, and just mass producing this stuff for all of his family members 
zero. Man, so they know that stuff is is not supposed to be there. Exactly. So that's not natural. Uh, to me, I feel like if, if you're gonna a deer is gonna eat what he knows is natural and in their uh in their uh whatever you call um appetite or whatever first. If he's got a good acorn crop or if he's got uh whatever it is that for feed food source, I feel like they're gonna eat that first before they come to a artificial man poured feed pile out in the middle of an opening with a ladder stand sitting right there by it. Yeah, <laughs> so like, they're hundred percent going to that that white oak tree before they come yeah, out there. So they're gonna stay in that. the woods where every they're gonna stay in the woods where everything is natural to them. So honestly it baiting baiting does help. I like I bait. I mean, I don't get me wrong, I pour bait out, but really I pour bait out not to kill a big buck over. I pour the bait out to keep the does and all there because they're going to come to it. They, they're a lot less leery. And when that certain time of the year runs around and he's kind of getting frisked up and starting to pack on the pounds and he's starting to look for, looking, uh, looking for a lady. Well, that's kind of what I use the bait for to, to keep that there for him. Like, Hey, here they are, big boy, come over here. I got it. What take your pick? Which one you want? So, I like I said, I'm not baiting. I don't bait to kill the buck. That is a million percent correct. That's what you cannot make these people. Some of these people in the Midwest that don't bait or can't bait or it's illegal or whatever. So you mean to tell me that if I took a handful of corn that's in this cornfield and moved it into the edge of the woods, I'm doing something wrong, and you're not? Uh, I don't know, man. It's 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 just all self preference, I guess. Whatever you, whatever your little mind tells you is the right way to do it. I mean, I guess go with it. I'm not here to knock or bash anybody's method of hunting by no means. If that's how you want to do it, then hey, more power to you. I mean, you got just as much right as I do, and I'm not just saying the way I do it is the only correct way because there's nine ways to skin a cat. So. That's just what I use bait for. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I've I've killed bucks in bait piles, and I've I've shot does in bait piles. I've shot little deer in bait piles. I've done it all. So, but the main reason why I put them bait there is to hold the does and stuff for that late December, early January. Because I mean, that's whenever they kind of you they lose their sense and they. They're more opt to come out into that opening then. Because they pick up on those things. I mean, I said, if I come into your house, you got your coffee table, you got your counter with your whatever on top of it. If I come in there and completely change stuff completely around, the first thing you're going to notice when you walk in there, hey, what the heck? Something? Why is my coffee table upside down? And why is this over here? Them deer, they live there. We're intruding in their home, in their space, so... They pick up on those type things. They're not dumb. They know when things change and the littlest changes too. They pay attention to a lot more than what people think too. Like if you hear, maybe not up north, the deer are a lot less um, like alarming up there. You can kind of do some stuff and they don't really care for the most part. And unless you're like an old mature deer, then it's a little bit harder. But down here, man, the, 
the 80 pound yearlings they stomping and throwing their heads up and wanting to blow and everything else at the smallest little changes so it's it definitely uh it definitely plays a factor into it for sure yeah and you try to explain that to people that that don't really understand it and it's I mean, yeah, there's some good deer. There's some good bucks killed over a feed pile for sure. There's no, I'm not not denying that at all. But what you said is 100% correct, that you're trying to keep the does, you're trying to keep the younger bucks in hopes that the older bucks come and sniff around in the general area that you're hunting. Well, it's a comfort zone. You're never going to kill, you're not going to kill a six and a half year old buck over a food pile. It's just, it's not going to happen. And if it does, it's rare. I said, it's just, it's just more of a comforting thing for me whenever he, when that buck does come around that downwind side that he's going to do every time to win the, the area that he's wanting to check out, one, for a lady, two, for predator, or anything that may be wrong, he's going to circle and, and try to scope it out before he just pops out there. Never in my life that I've ever seen a mature deer here in southeast Louisiana just go running right out into an open, like, hey, shoot me. Here I am, broadside. Let me chew on this corn cob. Never. Never have I ever seen it. Never have I heard it happening like that. Anything. It's always, uh, I never got a picture of this deer because he didn't even go near the camera. He was skirting the outside here, and then I killed him. Okay, so yeah. what's that tell you? I mean, it's not hard to read between the lines on stuff like that. Let the deer, that's what Mr. Dan says, he, he hit it right on the head whenever he said, let the deer tell you where they want to be at. You don't, our brain and their brain are totally different. What you think looks good is where they probably will never go, honestly, naturally. Now, if you got a big yep. bait pile there, then yes, maybe he may venture out into there. But you walking through the woods like, man, this is fine. Look how pretty and open and clear and, and just look at all the oak trees. Look at this and look at that. This is just perfect. It's going to be killer. And then you get a bunch of does in the day. You may have a mature buck, but he's at 1 o'clock in the morning passing around the backside. He may stick his nose in the feed pile a couple of times. So in our brain, and their brain, we don't think we're not on the same level. What we think looks good is probably not where they want to be nine times out of ten. So what Mr. Dan said by let the deer tell you, Dan, that's by observations and just really man just putting the boots on the ground kind of like what this episode uh series is i mean you gotta you just gotta figure it out and it ain't gonna be a three-day thing it's not gonna be a one-week thing it's gonna be months and months and months even maybe years to finally figure out exactly on a piece of property and, and that's if nothing changes that's if a logging company don't come in and freaking wipe the place out because then guess what you're back at square one. They're going to completely change everything that they do. So it's just, it's hard down here to really get that figured out. Yeah, and it, it may sound like to some people that we're complaining, and I promise you that we're not. We're just trying to educate people on some of the, I mean, everything we're saying is 100% true. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is stuff we deal with. Yeah, I mean, if you hunt in the southeast, really anywhere in the southeast united states i mean every state is a bait state alabama georgia florida all of them but you can't hunt over it but you can still bait 
It's all bait states. So this applies everywhere in, in the Southeast. And I guess the reason that we're talking about this now is because, you know, we're seeing some pretty good deer over some of our bait sites, but the odds of us killing one over it, who knows? Sometimes you get lucky or how many times have you heard this chase where, uh, you know, you talk to somebody who killed a good buck. Oh man, he just, he was standing in the back of the lane. I could see his antlers in his bush and he was moving around and I was able to get a shot. How many times have you heard that? Oh, a bunch. That's him looking like, Hey, uh-huh. Or he's checking it out, but he's not, he, he's not walking up to that bait pile. He knows better. That, and I think too, I think deer can actually, I think deer actually communicate without being vocal. If this make if that makes sense. Oh no, that's a fact. That is a scientific fact. Their so, tail flickers and all that stuff, all that, right. all the mannerisms, all that stuff means something. It's different. It's hard, but with this cool front coming, hopefully things will kind of turn around and the deer movement will pick up. Like you like you said before, Rudy, it's been so hot. The deer has kind of been laying tight. They hadn't really been moving much. And they've been kind of, if you, if you don't have a, if you don't have a water source of any type, you've, they've been hugging tight to them too. So it's kind of, it's been difficult first part, this little first part of the few days that we've been hunting, but with the cool front coming in, it's got some rain chance coming in. So it ought to turn things around for us. I hope so, man. I'm hoping for a good weekend this weekend. Uh, we're going to have lows like 50, 51 high, like the upper seventies, which for us in October, that's about that's as good. good as it gets. Yeah, I may not see nothing, but I'm gonna I mean, surely be out there. Twenty degrees, right? I mean, like I said, I may not see nothing, but I'll surely be sitting out there enjoying that. Oh, definitely. I'm gonna be out there as much as I can, and uh, guess what? I'm gonna be sitting over a feed site. So yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> we're, we're I, gonna I see a, what happens. I went yesterday, and I put out uh, I put out some more corn. I put out a hundred pounds of sweet treat, and then I bought some of the. Uh, no, I put out fifty pounds of sweet treat. They didn't have any. He was out when I went to Mr. Kenyon's, and uh, to get some sweet treat, they were they had sold out. They was waiting on the truck to come in, and then uh, so they had that econo mix. I've never fed it. It's kind of the same concept. It's uh, it's got cracked corn in it, cotton seed, and then dried molasses. Uh, for the listeners who don't know or may not know what sweet treat is, what we're calling it's actually the technical name for it is wild game treat and it says on the back treat them before you eat them or whatever but it's uh it's the, basically all it is in like a rice bran form it's a uh grinded up real finely dried molasses it's got corn in it and then some other artificial uh flavoring and scent and stuff like a berry flavor and something else but down here it works I mean, if you've been feeding a spot and you're not really getting a deer, you dump a sack of sweet treat out, and I guarantee you, the ne- by the next day, you will have a deer in it. It's just, it's like, it's like yeah. crack. I'm a firm believer that that's why we have the amount of bucks that we do right now. Oh, yeah. Now, like I said, they do. The bucks do. They, they come and eat. I mean, they got to eat, too, and you put that stuff out there and it attracts them and they they like the smell of it and they eat it too so but like the mature deer that we got we haven't since uh since they've lost their velvet and kind of got into their fall pattern and all we 
we haven't really had any more daylight pictures of him in that feed site. Now, he's moving. He's, he's walking around eating somewhere in the daylight. I mean, he's not just hibernating during the day. That's not what deer do. It's just, like I said, it's, it's not where... It's not where the, it's not where we made it for them to be. Yeah, I fully expect not to run into that that heavy horn eight point. Right. I'm thinking I'm thinking he's going to be a little bit too smart for that, but maybe maybe I can also get lucky. Yeah. You know. But like you say, these deer know when hunting season kicks in, and they know when the pressure changes, and they're. Yep they're hearing more people driving on the roads and they're seeing more people and they're smelling more human scent. They, they absolutely know. Yeah. It's like a light switch. They, I mean, it flips on and off. Like they immediately know. I feel like, but we have, a, I feel like October 1st is like their Christmas. They got a feed site anywhere they want to go. It's all the specialty high, just, bougie fee piles for them <laughs> October <laughs> yeah. 1st is like their Christmas <laughs> yeah it, as long as you can kind of stay out of your spots and keep from blowing them out before the weather gets right because that's that's a big thing too our deer are so nocturnal that they spend 90% of their time at night I mean you can look at any anybody in the southeast will tell you the same thing they have three times more pictures at dark than they do in the daylight at feed sites. And it's like that across the board at feed sites. Right. If you, that's, and that's kind of, that's reflecting on what we've been talking about the past 30 minutes. If you weren't over that feed site that you created and you were, had just had a camera out in the woods on a natural, you would probably see a lot more deer in the daylight. Oh yeah, for sure. They're up and walking during the day. It's just they're not where you put it because I mean they they know something ain't right about that. That didn't just appear or grow out the ground. But with but that being said, man, like like you said earlier, and you hit it nail on the head, man. It's a hundred percent true. You're trying to feed, not to kill deer over the feed. You're trying to keep them in this one particular area, and then you're trying to bounce around, mobile hunt. Switch it up, you know, different winds, different, you know, you're trying to figure out where they're coming and going to. You're trying to create a pattern that naturally exists in, like, just say the Midwest. You know, they have a food source, they have a bedding area, and this is how they come and go. This is their travel route. We're trying to do the same thing, but we don't have an ag field. We don't have thousands of pounds of corn that was supposed to be silage that spilled on the ground, you know? We don't have that. So this is our way of of being in the game if, if that makes yep. any sense an old broke firefighter like me i can't afford to put that much feed down and then and that's another issue God, that's no. another issue that i run into too like with that sweet treat and the rice bran and, and that type feed and corn too but it just takes a little longer usually i mean it's kind of ironic to say now but usually here in southeast louisiana we're wet we're always getting rain and this and that so when you put those types of feed out they ruin so fast, and it's kind of hard. And you're having to buy more, buy more, and you're wasting a lot more than you're than they're eating because, like I said, the de- the number the deer number per square mile here is not as high as anywhere else, so the feed is not getting ate as quick. Now, by deer, 
Now the deer, the the feed is getting ate by the forty-two raccoons, the three possums, and the seven armadillos, and the forty head of turkeys that I've been fighting, and then the wild hogs and all that, everything else that's uh, applying to that factor of eating your feed pile. It's a, it gets expensive, like that sweet treat stuff. It's sixteen dollars a sack, and it's fifty pounds. Fifty pounds won't last. If you're once they find it and discover it and they're actively eating it like on a daily basis, you'll last what two days, two and a half days or so. Yeah, if you're, if you're lucky. So I mean, it just, it gets expensive quick on top of everything else that you're spending to do it all. And I don't know, man. I don't know what draws me to this crazy sport we call hunting. A lot of money. Honestly, I I think it's the. I think it's the failure. Yeah. If I'm being honest. A lot of money, a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment, a lot of time in the woods, gone doing, instead of doing other things, I'm out. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a sickness for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, like I say, we're getting into this cold front and it's the first one of the year. So, hopefully we can get out there and have a pretty good weekend maybe see something if you, even if you don't see a deer or, or shoot a deer for that matter maybe you can learn something maybe you can see that deer off in the distance and you know he's standing back there but you can't quite get a shot or whatever it may be well guess what the next day you need to be set up on that trail wherever that trail well, that's is like, you know what that's I mean? like uh october 1st that evening that i hunted that buck come in and for whatever reason, everything's right. Wind's right. Uh, feed's there. Every, for whatever reason, the deer comes all the way up to the edge of that trail and just decides to, mm, nah, never mind, and turns and just walks away from it through the woods. I couldn't get a shot on. But what what caused him to do that? What made that deer come that far all the way across there with intentions of going to that feed pile, and then he gets within... 10 yards of it and just changes his mind instantly and turns and walks the other direction. Not frightened, not running, not scared. Just, never mind, just walks off. What made him do that? I don't know. They got a mind of their own. And I guess that's kind of what makes it worth hunting. Trying to figure them out. They it's definitely, just playing the game. <laughs> they definitely have a mind of their own. I, I know that opening morning, I know Colt was thinking it and I was thinking it. I'm like, man, if anybody's going to kill, it's going to be me. You know, I have these bucks on camera and I have all this stuff on camera. Right. And I'm in the I'm in there and I'm all tucked in and I'm ready, you know. And then I get a text at like 710. It says, Red Arrow. I'm like, no way. He said, yeah. He said, he, he didn't tell me what he shot at first. He said, came in with a little four point and the four point's still looking for him. So I'm thinking like, okay, well, what did he shoot if the four point's <laughs> walking around looking for him? <laughs> yeah, because Colt went and, uh, in. Colt went in with intentions to kill brown hair. It did not matter. Yeah, and he had a freaking three hundred pound boar yeah. with two inch cutters on him come in, and he scared him off with the uh, the sap on the seat. And all, I wonder I mean, what he did with those pants. In, you think he had? There ain't no way he got that out of the pants. Oh no! And especially as hot as it's been, and dude, it was just like hot glue on top of that seat. I bet. <laughs> Oh, that man. Made me I, mad, bro. See, that's the, I hate pines. That. That's the kind of stuff that makes you that makes you want to keep going to the woods, yeah. though. It's stuff like that. 
Yeah, I hate that. And then I you share not. the story. If I can help it, I will not set up on a pine tree. I hate it because they're going to do it. And you don't even have to penetrate. You don't have to penetrate or knock the bark off or dig into the tree. It just, if you put something around it, it's going to leak sap on it. Yep. And that crap, you can't yep. get it off. Unfortunately, there's a bunch of spots that I have that are, if you're going to be in a tree, it's going to be a pine right. tree. Right, yeah. And sometimes you have to, but be prepared to just what he run into. You can't get it off. You can't wipe it yeah, off. Love you it. can't. It don't wash off very easy. That crap just—I don't know. It's bad. I got multiple stands that it's got old sap dried up on it. It's like concrete. You can't chip it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you're not getting it off, and you'll never stop it from being sticky no. either, which is what I don't understand. You can rub dirt in it. It don't or matter. Yeah. Put then you, you, then want you got to on top then you got seat. dirty sticky stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you have dirt stuck to you instead of just sap yeah that crap's terrible but that's the, that's the kind of stuff that keeps us going back to the woods man like you said you know you don't know why we do it or whatever and you know i've had that thought too but you get to have conversations like this with you know your hunting buddies and your friends and all that this is what hunting is about to me yep. you know this is what i wanted this show to be about is about the the camaraderie between friends and family members that that share the woods share the outdoors and stuff like that it's prime example you know as much as we complain and as much as we you know cry and bellyache about certain things that we don't like or whatever you know at the end of the day we can still sit here and laugh about the things that we hate at the moment but now you know here we are talking about well, it I think, enjoying the conversation I think we cry and moan and groan over it so much because we're so addicted to it and we love it so much so whenever and does the, the much uh, as much as we want to kill, and it don't happen, or something comes in, and 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 coyote uh, runs through and boogers him off, or the wind twirls and he smells you and runs off and this and that, and ruins it. It kind of just hits you right in the gut. You put in so much time and effort and money into it, and stuff like that happens. But hey, that's part of it. I say, I've, I've multiple times I've looked back like. Why? Why am I? Dude, do you know how much money that I could be saving in anything? Not that I have anything else better to do anyway, but anything to with the amount of money, dude. I'm telling you every year, and, and this is just deer. I'm a big turkey hunter. So then uh, right after deer season, guess what? I'm diving off into that and on road trips and, and license and, and just – uh, everything, everything known to man is is just price after price after price after price, and then after the uh, turkey season, leading up, getting close, getting ready, kind of starting to think about deer season a little bit. I'm hog hunting, so then I'm feeding them and, and gas and doing that. Dude, there's no telling how much money I spend in hunting. I know for a fact last year I totaled it up before before. Um, deer season even started before I could even legally hunt. I was already like three grand out of from <laughs> feed and and just uh buying bullets and just everything cameras, just get everything ready. I mean, it don't it's not three grand all at once, but if you actually keep your receipts and then at the end of the year look back, 
of how many times that you spent that 20 bucks, that 40 bucks, that 130 bucks here, that 50 bucks here. Dude, that stuff adds up so quick and you will be so like, holy cow, I cannot believe I spent that much money to go out here and sweat and beat mosquitoes off of me and nine times out of ten not kill anything. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it, Chase. Oh, it's crazy. I, even <laughs> no, even I, after we've already... I do the same thing. Even since we've already started, I'm going to I'm, I'm challenge you. Start keeping every receipt from this from this day on. Let's start keeping every receipt that we spend with hunting-wise. Rather, you needed to get gas to go to the lease. Rather, you got to get feed. Whatever it is, keep your receipts, and then let's look at them at the end of the season. We'll do a we'll do an episode on it. Get, okay, I'm, I'm get down. Get you a Ziploc I'm bag, it. put it in your trunk, and just put hunting on it or whatever. Anything you spend that involves or includes going hunting, save the receipt. Dude, if we if we do that, I'll probably never hunt again. I'm do I'm gonna do it. If we can do that, I'm, I'll do it. Get that, I'll and then we'll try it. to talk to Colt and see if he'll do it too. And then we'll put it all together as the big easy group. We spent thirty four thousand and we killed three deer, <laughs> <laughs> oh, or two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Oh man, and that's like me too. I started, I got into bow hunting, and then. Figured out I love shooting a bow. So what do I do? I'm into target archery now. Another. So now I have to have a hunting another bow and a target yep. bow. Good Lord, dude. It don't stop, bro. It just one thing leads to another. That's why I told you. And I, it's a I, tournament every other weekend, you know, in the off season. When I, actually, I get out of the woods. Hunting season ends in January. February, target season kicks in. So then almost every other weekend, I'm shooting a tournament somewhere. And it's gas yep. there, and it's, you know, arrows here or points here or fletchings here. You know, it just, it never ends. Oh, I agree. But that's why we love it. It really is yep. an addiction, you know? Yeah, it's, that's why I told you the other day. I said, phew. Don't even go turkey hunting. Don't even try to, if you don't want to get into something else and another money pit, and don't even go. Just save yourself from it. And Colt has it twice as bad because uh, he's fishing. So, Well, let's do that. Uh, do what? I said Colt has it twice as bad because uh, he's fishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even worse. Anything with a boat is expensive. Yeah. But yeah, man, like I said, I kind of got the idea out there. Got a cold front coming, getting ready, ready to see what the weekend holds. But it is now 1014. I'm about ready to hit the sack. We got us a little challenge going now. We're going to keep every receipt and see what we spend just to kind of put it in perspective and then compare that to how much money we spent to kill a deer compared to what we could have bought with it instead or could have bought ground meat or whatever instead, but instead we threw it out, literally threw it on the ground for wild animals to eat. So, Oh, you could have, at the end, end, end of the day, you probably could have bought 17 Angus <laughs> bulls and, 
had beef to last you a lifetime for the, the oh, price yeah. that you pay to go hunt. You could have bought 12 bull yearlings and, nope, we went and threw it out on the ground. So I, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's why the women sometimes think the old ladies, it's so stupid that you spend this much money on this crap. You spent that much on this and it's like, it's not stupid. I gotta have it. Or this and that. And then you <laughs> you really look back like, yeah, it was pretty stupid. I spent that much money on this. Yeah, then and they figured out that they could make money off the hunting industry. So they just everything in the hunting industry is exponentially more expensive than anything else. Like if you take a bag of corn and put a picture of a deer on it, somehow it costs more than a bag of corn that doesn't have the picture on it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's triple cleaned for your feeders. Yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. What do they do to clean it? I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. But somehow it costs, you know, a couple of dollars for them to clean it. I guess so. But. But this was good. Yep, it's a good little little hype episode. Get your your mind turning for uh, not only the early season, but here in Louisiana, we got to kind of play the long game, and uh, you know we'll start kind of transitioning to the different times of year and and try to see what we can do there. So, <clears throat> yep. Well. I appreciate everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time.